right. Welcome back to the big program. It's uh, just after 8 o'clock in Edmonton. A little nippy out there. Minus 24 coming in to the uh, West Edmonton Mall Sportsnet, Sports Sports 1440 Studios here. And we're going to talk Sportsnet with uh, Mark Spector uh, right now uh, on the mark. Powered and fueled by Booster Juice. Download the new Booster Juice Rewards app today to start earning berry points for delicious and nutritious smoothies, drinks, and food that will get you through the day as we welcome in Mark Spector. To the big show. Good morning, Spec. Yeah, a little chilly Oof. out here, but uh, not so bad, huh? I think we got spoiled, didn't we? You know. Oh boy. I took. <laughs> you I, think? I took uh, a couple of deck chairs out on Friday after hockey and had a couple beers with the dog out on uh, well the lawn. <laughs> the, like sitting out, I had shorts on. It was plus ten, and then what? Two days later, bang. That's why I like you, Kev. I like a guy who will have a couple beers with his dog, yeah. man. You're my kind of people. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, the other thing, too, is I had a little uh, beef jerky as well. And that's why well, the that do- dog will follow you anywhere. That's why the dog was with me. Yeah, it loves the beef jerky. Yeah, it loves the beef jerky. So uh, what would you make of last night? Uh, it was a bit of a kind of a slower start. Uh, it was, you know, the, the kind of uneventful, uh, you know, the... Uh, the, the mood in the building, there was there really wasn't anything till later in the first period, but kind of picked up from there, and then the Oilers uh, kind of full marks for a win last night. Yeah, the Kings are, are that one of those teams where they play a dull, boring, risk-averse, no-forecheck, trap, trap, trap game, and if they get the lead on you, it's a boring, dull, crappy game. Let's face it. Yeah. New Jersey was like that. Minnesota was like that. Hell, the Ken Hitchcock's Dallas Stars were like that in a lot of nights. Uh, if you get the lead on them, they got some horses and they can play fun hockey. They just don't want to. So yeah. the Oilers, I think, Kev, I think for what the Oilers are trying to accomplish, that was the perfect opponent. It it made them play a careful, smart don't make a big mistake style. The orders had to be very patient. I thought the orders did exactly what you have to do to beat LA. Mm-hmm. I think that's a huge confidence booster for uh, Edmonton and their their you know search for their defensive game. I hate watching the Kings play hockey. I'm here to tell you, and you just said it. There's no atmosphere. It's boring. It's dull. And the Oilers won, and that's good. But uh, I'm sure glad that I don't cover the black and silver team. I'd rather cover the blue and orange team every day. Yeah, you know, that was your question, Spec, to Matthias Ekholm last night about being the Kings being the perfect uh, opponent. And he said, absolutely, 100%. Also, what did you yeah. think of his answer regarding, you know, Evan Bouchard about, you know, how he maybe has a couple bad shifts but doesn't let it get to him and then he comes back and basically helps his team to a massive victory? Yeah, and you know what? Ekholm knows. Like he's a player. He's a he's a veteran guy, and I, I everything he said was exactly true. You know what? I think we all forget, and I probably forget too. Like that second Kings goal in a hockey city like Edmonton, every single guy watching that game and girl mm-hmm. looks at the replay and goes, "Oh man, Evan Bouchard, what are you doing? That goal's your fault." And it was right. He made a bad read. He stepped up. With timing was no good, and he was in no man's land. The puck goes in the net, and you know when you're Evan Bouchard and you play the way he plays, those things happen to you. They happen to you because you're that's the player you are. You're stepping up. You're taking a chance. And as Ekholm said, you can't let like you got to get to the stage of your career where that's those plays don't leave a dent. Yeah. 
And I think Bouchard's finally there where he can say, ooh, screwed that up. And he goes out and he gets you two points, and he's a huge factor of winning that game. It doesn't crush him. Uh, I think all the great offensive players, Kev, the Coffees, the Carlsons, the, the you know, you name them, the Phil Housleys, the, the Chris Letangs, all the best offensive defensemen have to get past the fact that, yep, my game's going to come with some mistakes, but I'm not going to let it get to me. And it looks to me like Bouchard is for sure there. Mm-hmm. The other thing too, Spec, after that 2-1 goal, you know, it wasn't very long after that he took the holding the stick penalty. So you can look at that two ways. So as a, you know, an outsider to the coaching staff, to Chris Knobloch and to 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 uh, Paul Coffey, well, I mean, is, should he have been on the ice after that? But they're saying, you know what, you're fine. You're 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 still you're okay. Yeah. You're okay. And you're they're showing that confidence in him to stay out there. You know, and then even again after the holding the stick penalty. So I think it's a big uh, big kudos to the coaching staff to make sure that they're not tearing the player down instead of they're building him up. Well, I mean, name a guy in this city who'd know more about that than Paul Coffey, mm-hmm. right? You know, when Paul Coffey was a young player, he was Evan Bouchard, right? He was he took a million chances. He wasn't that good in his own zone. He, he you know, <laughs> he was not a defensive stalwart by any means. And he would know, right, how to build the confidence yeah. in that young player because he was that young player. So, you know, good for the coaches. Good for, I'm sure Paul Coffey would not allow – on that bench, you know, for, for, for Bouchard. I mean, as long as you're working hard and trying mm-hmm. hard, you're going to make mistakes. If he's lazy, if he's dumb, that's different. But those that's not the case. He's just a guy playing hockey, and mistakes happen. Mark Spector with us uh, on Sports 1440, the Kevin Carey Show on a Tuesday morning, 8.09 in Edmonton. Uh, I was kind of looking, and I'm, I know it's not the end-all, be-all, but the old plus-minus for the Kings defenseman, and it was Doughty and Gavrikov at minus three. If you were to say that before the game with the guys that they had in the lineup, how the Oilers forwards exposed that top pairing, I think was a critical part of the game. What do you think? Well, you're going to, you know, the problem with being Drew Doughty and Gavrikov when you come to Edmonton is either you play against McDavid or you play against uh, Drysaddle. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the chance, if, if you lose, chances are you're going to be minus something. Yeah. So, yeah, you know what? Uh, listen, I don't, I mean, Doughty's one of the greats. Yep. Hats off, great player, Team Canada defenseman. Like, he's fantastic. I love dealing with him too, but he's a really good player. But McDavid's had, you know, and, and he'll acknowledge it. McDavid scorched him a few times over their careers. <laughs> and that's that's just part of being in the fight. If you're going to be the guy they put out against Connor every time you play, all the games aren't going to end with a plus, pal. I'm here to tell you. Connor McDavid scorches guys from east to west. Doughty just happens to play against him more than most. And uh, he gets his burn marks, too, from Connor McDavid. Don't think he doesn't. Mm-hmm. That five-on-three was the <laughs> most pivotal part of the game. There's uh, probably no denying that. Uh, the yep. Oilers were down two men for 24 seconds. But and, and everyone, the, the face-off was on the right side of Stu Skinner, and everyone kind of thought it would be maybe Derek Ryan taking the draw, right-handed uh, face-off guy. But Ryan Nugent-Hopkins took the draw, won it. Oilers clear, big part of it. And Nugent-Hopkins was 65% in the face-off circle. Yep. Had a great game last night. Isn't that something, yeah. And You know, Nuge, 
that's not always been the strongest part of his game. Let's face it, over his time in Edmonton is his face-off game. And when you go in against Phil Deneau and Alze Kopitar, uh, you know, any team that's got those two guys on it, the chances of having a good night in the face-off circle, they're not great, right? So mm-hmm. kudos to Nuge. Like, he's just... He's he's just quietly become a better and better and better player. At 100 points last year, his defensive game, his PK game, now his face-off game more and more. You know, he's just that's why you if if you think you want to have a good team, you got to have a bunch of guys like Ryan Nugent Hopkins that do more than one thing well. And he's really turned into that jack of all trades, man. He does a lot of things well, doesn't he? Oh, uh, yeah, and I mean even that fourth goal. Uh, there was a really nice play, a nice give and go with Connor Brown, who made a very yeah. heads up play, yeah. and it was nice to see that. Yeah, just nice to see Connor Brown have yep. a successful moment and have a positive impact on a goal. Like he just hasn't, you know. I know what's he got five assists. Yeah. Like how much and how many of those were important assists? Like you did. It's just I was happy for him. You know that was an important goal, right? It really took the pressure off. They pulled their goalie after that, but now you got a goal to play with. So, good for Connor Brown. I mean, come on, the guys. <laughs> you know, I get it. Bad contract. I get it. It's, it. There's a lot of bad things here, but the guy's working his tail off, and he does deserve something good to happen. The other thing too. Oh, we just lost Speck. Uh, the other thing that we uh, kind of mentioned, are we going to try to get Speck back? Yeah, we'll try to get him back. We just lost him. But uh, when uh, that 4-2 goal did go in, you got a couple of minutes left. We got you, Speck. Uh, that 4-2 goal goes in, and now you got you know a few minutes left, and Kings pull their goalie. I'm betting I haven't even looked, and I have to check the time on ice and uh, shift length. But Connor Brown played probably about a minute and change when there was two minutes left because they're trying to get him that, you know, the empty yeah. net goal. They're trying, and there was a couple opportunities. And to his credit, he didn't cheat it. He didn't cheat it, you know? Yeah, right. It, it would be, you know, a lot of guys would be hanging around the blue line, wouldn't mm-hmm. they? So, yeah, not good for him. Listen, yeah. he's a, there's a, there's no way to describe the crappy year he's had, like all the posts. And I get it again. I'm not here to defend him and say it was a good signing. Clearly it wasn't at this point, but he is an NHL player who's had a few, you know, a couple of 20 goal seasons. He's not a, he's not a bad player, but he's having a bad year, man. And uh, he's having a lot of bad luck. Uh, everyone in the building's hoping he gets that empty netter or, or something mm-hmm. that happens. And, you know, we've seen it before, Kev, a guy gets one, then he gets three. And you know what? Like, I think when the playoffs start, if Carter Brown can have some fortune and get his confidence going and help this team and get the odd goal, I'm certainly think that most people will forget. They didn't hire him for the season. They hired him to help him win a cup. If he helps him win a cup, we're all going to forget about this contract. Well, that's what happened to Ryan McLeod's back, right? He got the empty netter and sort of just kind of kick-started him. Yeah, right. That's exactly it. So, <laughs> hey, man, whatever it takes for <laughs> Connor Brown to get off the schneid here, let's yeah. go. And uh, can't forget <laughs> Stu Skinner last night, one of the main reasons the Oilers won the game. Yeah, I think we talked yesterday about how at some point the goalie's got to stand up and, and if his team's not going to figure it out defensively, then he's got to give him a game here. And uh, I think both things happen, you know. So what are we seeing with Stu Skinner? You know, we're seeing a guy who, when a team plays a decent defensive game in front of him, he gives you every bit enough goaltending to win that game. He'll let in two or let in one. And I'm here to tell you, in today's NHL, if my goalie lets in two every night, I'm going to be about an 800 team. So 
Uh, you know, it, it, does he carry them when they stink defensively? <laughs> nah, probably he doesn't as many times as you'd like to see. But uh, uh, man, if they if they play the way they played last night defensively, this team can go a long ways. If they're going to play the way they played the last ten games defensively, I don't care who's in net because they're not going to win Jack. So if you're telling me Stu Skinner can can be my goaltender and win my games when my team plays well. I don't need a goalie that wins my games if my team's going to consistently be crappy because they're not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm on Team Skinner here. I think there's plenty of goalie there. I think he can help. He'll win for you when when you earn the win, and he gives you more than enough goaltending like he did last night. Well, that's the first game since the All Star break that the Oilers allowed less than three goals. So that's a, a big big thing there. And and yep. I don't remember the last time the Oilers had a lead going into the third period. So I'm going to have to find the stats on that. The Duke will be on it maybe, but it's been a while. I don't remember. Been a long time. It yeah. hasn't happened. It's ten I'm games, not I think. Sure it's happened since the All Star break that they've led going into the third. Yeah, I think it's at least ten games, and then. Uh, but there, I mean, we we know how well they play in the third period. So, hey, Spec, thanks for this. Uh, we'll see you down at the rink uh, tomorrow, maybe even today. We'll see how things go. All right, thanks, Gav. All right, that's Mark Specter on the mark, energized by Booster Juice. Get the boost you need at Booster Juice when we come back. We will check in with Frank Saravalli from the Daily Faceoff and our headliner of the day for Mr. Reuter. It's a Kevin Carey show on Sports 1440. Stay with us. All right, welcome back to the big program. Time now for the headliner of the day, brought to you by Mr. Reuter Plumbing. The plumber to call when the toilet mysteriously breaks after your jalapeno pepper popper fueled game night with the fellas. That's Mr. Reuter.ca as we welcome in Frank Saravalli from the Daily Faceoff. Good morning, Frank. Sounds like it hurts. Jalapeno <laughs> popper pooper something. Yeah, yeah nice. I added I added one more little. Sounds uh, like it burns. Alliteration in there for you. Yeah. I don't know. I've never really had the jalapeno popper. Yeah, it's not that wouldn't be on my list of things to try. Yeah, I'm sure they're been on like a platter when you order like the great big deep fried platter, but I don't know. There's other things to partake. How's that? There so? aren't many deep fried platters I haven't seen, but that one. Do you like what's your okay when you get a deep fried platter and you got you got all that on there? What's your, what's your go to on there? I'm such a sucker for mozzarella sticks. Ooh, yeah. Um, you know the other thing, calamari seems to be a a big one. Guys go for yeah, that. but I only like certain pieces of the calamari. You don't like the I tentacles? I like the rings. I don't like the little like, tentacles. Yeah. Why they just kind of scary or what? Yeah, it's just when I have to look at it, that I'm not that into it. They're scaring you. They're scaring you. What's uh, scaring you, Frank, when it comes to the, the uh, trade deadline day and the uh, daily face-off target, trade target? What do we? I guess we're T-minus 10 and counting, 10 more days here or so, right? Yeah, 10 days. And what's scaring me is the lack of activity. <laughs> it's been 25 days since we've seen a trade in the NHL. Sean Monaghan going from Montreal to Winnipeg and – I can't really quite remember a deadline like this. I know that this is always, uh, you know, sort of a kiss of death when you say it, but I I don't know of anything this morning right now that's front burner either. So it kind of feels like teams are are waiting through this. Yeah. So do you think they're just waiting for one team to make the deal to sort of set the market, so to speak? Well, that's part of it. I mean, look at the Calgary Flames and Chris Tanev. He's readily available to the first team that steps up and gives the Calgary Flames a first-round pick. Mm -hmm. And in the meantime, they've got a bunch of teams that have put number two picks on the table 
they're sifting through that. And then the next part of it might have to come down to, okay, can someone give me a conditional first? What are the conditions? Can I make the conditions better? Can I get an additional prospect here or potentially an NHL player? Whatever it is, they're trying to find the best deal possible and no one has stepped up to pay it. How much or what do you say Markstrom is still in play and the possibility of him moving out of Calgary? I think it's possible that the New Jersey Devils revisit it. I don't know what it would take to bridge the gap, but outside of New Jersey, I don't know another team that would step up at this exact moment in time and trade for Markstrom. And I'll take it one step further in that you guys just saw Calgary over the Mm -hmm. weekend. Is there a chance, and I would say an outside chance, but that the Flames could trade Hannafin and Tanev and on the back of Markstrom still squeak into the playoffs? There's a chance. I don't know because not. I mean, then you bring the other thing into play. Is UC Cyrus 100% staying in Nashville? I don't have that confirmed just yet, but I did have a team tell me in the last 24 hours that since Nashville is in a playoff spot, that they are very likely to hang on to Saros. Mm-hmm. Which makes total sense. It does, unless you take the long-term view or unless someone's willing to knock your socks off mm-hmm. to get him because Yaroslav Iskarov has been absolutely incredible in Milwaukee where they are the second, they're on the second longest winning streak in AHL history and his numbers have been outstanding and he's a first-round pick. Mm-hmm. Frank Saravalli with us, Daily Faceoff on Sports 1440. Uh, what do you make of the Vegas Golden Knights moving forward here, especially with the situation with Mark Stone? Yeah, I'd expect them to be really ing- aggressive. They're a team that has stopped at nothing to try and win the Stanley Cup. They accomplished that, and they're not just going to sit back now and say, oh, that was great, we won one, we're good for a while. That's That's not in that team's M.O. Look at all of the draft picks and – first round picks that they've made that they've traded. Um, They've got a unique opportunity here, having a bunch of assets still um, having potentially nine and a half million dollars of LTIR space. Although stone hasn't been placed on there yet. And there really is no firm and definitive timeline for this lacerated spleen, Mm -hmm. but they they're not a team that's going to be, going away. So I think they've got a bunch of different irons in the fire to make a splash, whether it's Jake Gensel or Pavel Buchnevich or even potentially bringing back Riley Smith at full price. Whatever the case may be, they have potentially cap space to go out and spend, and I'd be shocked if they don't use it. And Jake Gensel just starting to skate in Pittsburgh. What do you make of what's going to happen with him in the next 10 days? You know, a lot of people have framed it as being a tough call for the Pens because you've got Sidney Crosby having this all-world season. You even watch Sunday's game where he's just carrying that team. No Jake Gensel, four points, beat the Flyers, the team that they're chasing in the Metro. And it's really the Flyers that all those teams are chasing, the Mm -hmm. Devils and the Caps, because the two wildcard teams are from the Atlantic, and um, it's a bit harder, I think, to – to go out and be able to catch um, the Red Wings and the Lightning. So it's not that difficult for me. Um, I think Gensel's the one piece that they have that can jumpstart this rebuild that they so desperately need. And 
they don't have a first round pick this year because of the Eric Carlson trade. They don't have any prospects. They have nothing in their pipeline outside of an elite complimentary player that Gensel is that has north of a point per game, four of the last five seasons, a two time 40 goal scorer. Who else on your team is going to bring you that kind of value and mm-hmm. return? Now, here's an interesting wrinkle, though, that I'll tell you that I heard also in the last 24 hours is the Penguins have have received more interest in Riley Smith so far than they have in Jake Gensel. Now, riddle me that, Batman. And Riley Smith has one more year, correct? Yep. So I don't know that. I don't know why that would be. Um, no clue. What would be the return on either or that you'd have to give up? Well, for Gensel, it, I mean, it's he's the premier forward available, um, even with the injury. So when you look at the market, and you and I did a, a deep dive on this yesterday on dailyfaceoff.com, the odd part about the NHL trade market is the centerpiece for Gensel is, is likely to revolve around a late first-round pick. And when you boil it down, it's not really all that different than the Jets – gave up for Sean Monahan or what the Canucks traded for Elias Lindholm. And, you know, even for Gensel, who players of that magnitude so rarely become available, for whatever reason, over the last 15 years, teams don't really pony up a lot to spend to get those guys. And part of the reason for it is they know that if they don't have a chance to sign him, that's a pretty big, or even if they do, it's a pretty expensive then contract that's coming on the back end of it that it's um, they're in a really interesting spot here in terms of what they can get for him. And Smith, maybe that extra year on his deal at 5 million bucks. I know mm-hmm. the season has been really disappointing in some ways it it might ultimately be comparable. It, it'll be less, but comparable for a guy that some teams now view as Jake Gensel light. Hmm. Interestingly enough. Frank Saravalli with us on Sports 1440. I really want to get our text line going, Frank. So let's talk about the Toronto Maple Leafs for a moment. Winners of seven straight, home to Vegas tonight. And uh, all of a sudden, the Leafs starting to make a little bit of a push. They might be a little too far behind in the Atlantic, but making a little bit of noise uh, thanks to a seven-game winning streak. Yeah, and, um, you know, you look at it and you go, huh, um, how aggressive will they be now, mm-hmm. right? And that's, that's the tough part when you consider their assets, that they just they, they have their first-round pick, but short of that, don't really have a lot to trade. They don't want to move their top prospects. And they've got a bunch of different holes to fill. And they're, I think they're multiple defensemen away, plus bottom six forward help that, I, you know, I think they're in a really difficult position because you don't want to let this season pass by with your all-world forwards that are also producing at that rate and are in the prime of their career, let alone the resources that you've committed to them. It's, um, I think they're they're in the toughest deadline position of anyone, hmm. I think. Can a team get gun-shy, Frank, from you know past experience? Like the Leafs last year added a bunch of pieces, didn't work out. Can they just go, Multiple you know what? Multiple years now. Yeah. But, it's a different you know. regime. Yep. But um, that's the thing is when you go from you know the Felino deal in the Canadian North Division where you feel like you had to go for it to then – 
not just Ryan O'Reilly, but the other trades that they made last year, there's been a lot of capital and future capital out the door. And you really can't in the NHL go for it every year. Teams that have won a Stanley Cup or have gotten to a final, I think are in a different position because you at least know that your team has an authentic chance to go deep. But with the Leafs, you again, it's this juxtaposition of not wanting to let this year slip by given the pieces that you have up front and a 70-plus goal season from Matthews. Mm-hmm. Um, but how realistically, can you, can you do it? Can you continue to trade away every top-end future piece that you have? At some point, the back end of that timeline – that you have for your team and the competitive window to win, it begins to shrink because you don't have anything new coming in through that pipeline. You saw the orders uh, beat LA last night for two Frank uh, Ken Holland in his wish list. Has it changed? Has his, uh, I guess his priority of what he would like to add, has that changed in the last little bit? Not to my knowledge. I still think that they're pretty focused on adding an impact forward. But I I think they're also all over the map in terms of what they're looking at. Is it a package deal? Is it just one? Is it have they've yet to my knowledge to really center in on something? And then I think there's a real question to ask about whether or not that should be the priority. Should there be another you know, defense first defender that comes through the door that can help this team. And I'll be honest, um, it wasn't high on my priority list two weeks ago, but Stuart Skinner's played a lot. And this goaltending, like they're back in the ditch since the all-star break. He was good last night. He was, but even including last night, since the all-star break, I believe he's at an eight eighty seven. Yeah. I don't think he's played a lot. When you look at how the games have been spaced out, I don't think he's overworked. How's that sound? Uh, I would disagree, and okay. I'm just pulling up my numbers just so that I, I have it all accurate here. Since the coaching change, Stuart Skinner has made 33 starts, which is tied for fifth most in the league, and he's just three back of the leader in Georgiev, who we know the Colorado Avalanche have said is playing too much. So he's only three starts back of him. And the numbers that I gave you, um, they were actually they're actually worse than what I had said. Since the all-star break, Skinner 879 and Cal Pickard 877. I can- Look, he's shown that he can do it. 21 and 4. 50 goals against in 25 games played a 925 save percentage from the time Chris Knobloch took over until the break. But we know what this season started like with the Oilers and how much goaltending impacted their poor start. I don't think goaltending is big on the on the Oilers priority list, meaning like I I will be surprised if they go out and trade for one but I'm just raising the question of maybe should it be. I can tell you this, Frank, that the team in front of the goaltenders since the All-Star break and even going back a couple of games where they ham and egged it was the team that you saw at the start of the season. So I wouldn't put this on Skinner and Pickard. I would put it on total team defense and structure and in the sense that they have been playing 
like they did at the start of the year. That's what I would okay, say. Okay, so then let's uh, let's go to the next step of the conversation. Then mm-hmm. what is this? Is a chicken and the egg argument, which is. Do, does that mean the Oilers need another defender? No, I think the answer lies within the room. I think what happens is all the bad things, as I said for two weeks here on this show, all the bad things that the Oilers were doing in the last two weeks, uh, I use the word creeping in from at the start of the season. Well, it stopped, and I used this terminology yesterday, Frank. They crept in. All of these things have crept in, and we can run down the list of about 10, 12 things. They crept in. Last night, they nipped a little a bit little bit of it in the bud, a few of those things. They're on their way to getting back to where they were. It was their first game yet last night where they allowed less than three goals since the All-Star break. So... They are getting back to where they need to be. So I don't think it's all on the personnel, goaltending. I think the answer lies within the room. Okay, so if the answer lies within the room and the market is kind of thin in general in terms of real impact difference makers, we know that Ken Holland doing nothing is not an option. Mm -hmm. What's the best course of action then? Well, in my mind, again, and I've said this, I think they just need to add size and grit on a fourth line, they need a little bit bigger uh, component of the fourth line. If they could ever find uh, a right winger, uh, or if it's Gensel playing on the opposite side, or figure that out uh, on that second line, that's fine too. That adds more depth to the third line, bigger, heavier on the third line, a little bit more of a tweak on the fourth line. And then if they can get some sort of a defenseman that gives them defensive help and depth, I don't think this team is that far away. I don't think they need, and I don't think there is that Ekholm splash out there because if they do that, they have to send the money out. You're getting rid of CeCe. You're getting rid of Fogel. You're getting rid of Kulak. There's no other way around it. Last year they did it with Barry. So it's in or out, and that's the way I see it. So, Well, even just on the goaltending front, if they even wanted to bring up Campbell, which at some point they're probably going to have to in the playoffs, yeah. they'd have to wave and or send down players. It's Their cap situation is dire in mm-hmm. that sense that if you are making a trade of any significance, it you have to be plucking pieces off of your roster to do it. Yeah. So I do think that there's some concern on that level. I'd be very surprised at the end of the day if it ends up being Gensel. I would too. Um, I would too. I don't think they. I don't think they want to spend. Not to say that they don't believe in him. I think the price is going to be expensive, and I think there's almost zero chance that he resigns in Edmonton. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. And on. I think that yeah. part of it is um, certainly of consideration. But I think Riley Smith would be a totally different conversation. Mm-hmm. Hey Frank, thanks so much for this. Uh, we will talk with you on Thursday. Appreciate it, man. Sounds good. Have a good one, Kevin. All right. That's Frank Saravalli, Daily Faceoff. And our headliner of the day, brought to you by Mr. Reuter. Your top defense pairing against leaks. That's mrreuter.ca. Team Dean, let's get to you, big guy. Team Dean texts in. Sorry, you are wrong. Nurse and CC are a tire fire. CC isn't capable of babysitting nurse. Oh, come on, Team Dean. Wake up. CC's a third pair guy playing top four minutes. Nurse needs a better, strictly defense partner to cover his brain cramps. 
When we come back, we will have some open text time. We'll get to a little more of these. Uh, 1-833-401-1440. Maybe a little more Oilers sound from uh, post-game comments. And then we've got uh, Ryan Divish, Seattle Times, covering the Mariners. We'll talk a little baseball. Curtis Pachelka, a little more hockey with the San Jose Sharks. There's another team we should have probably maybe touched on with Frank about where the Sharks are moving forward. But I'm sure we will talk about that on Thursday. Uh, much more coming up on the Kevin Carey Show on Sports 1440. Stay with us. All right, welcome back to the big program. How many times did you shake that up on the dance floor with that one, Duke? Probably lots, eh? In the... <laughs> yeah, it doesn't get played a lot. I mean, it's obviously an older song, but like I, a lot of Delburn weddings, it still gets in the mix, so that's that's a classic. What do they got, the, the uh, Delburn Community Hall, and that's where all the weddings are, or what? Um, Less so now, I think, because I think it's actually surprisingly expensive to rent. And it's like oh. if, if you're having a huge wedding, then that's kind of the only place to, to do it. But um, since COVID, a lot of people have kind of been going the more, I don't know, smaller scene, I guess. Hmm. Uh, like my sister's wedding was during COVID. We had it out at the Cumberland Community Hall, which is How many? Out, out in the sticks. But that was so we had to have it outside, though. So we okay, had the big, yeah. the big tops. And um, but and so that was right when restrictions had changed that we were allowed 100 people at an outdoor gathering. Originally, their guest list was like several hundred people, and it was going to be at the Delburn Hall. So but, outside? Uh, so it ended up moving outside and uh, decreasing the guest How list many, by yeah, about like, threefold. Oh, so really? So it was, I think originally that guest list was were, close to 300 people. Were there like uh, like restrictions still? You had to even outside and all that stuff? Uh, well, I mean, yeah, it is. Keep in mind it was in Delburn um, and out in the middle of nowhere. So like we, we abided by the, the hard rules of the limits on people and things like was that. There, but so was there dancing? Oh, oh yeah, like so. Could you? Did you have to have brother, a mask on? My bro, no, my, <laughs> no, that might have done me better. Uh, cover up, <laughs> cover up some of this mug, but uh, but no, uh, my brother-in-law and his dad, uh, Wilson and Brian, they uh, they built a dance floor that kind of so yeah. it was you know uh, framed up and then plywood over top and stuff, and so yeah. then it came apart in pieces. So we load on the flat deck get to the like transport it from their farm to the hall get a few guys on each end load it off and then drill it all together mm. we, had, we had to, it was a big dance floor by the time it was all said and done so that was a, a pretty good evening so are you cutting a big time rug out there like are you one of the top dancers like if you're going to a wedding and the girls are sitting over here and they're looking out and they're saying you know i wouldn't mind like getting a spin or two are they looking over towards the duke's way uh I'd like to think so. <laughs> I, I I gained a pretty good reputation during my time at the U of A. We went oh. to we went out a lot, obviously, to the likes of Knoxville's Tavern, the Ranch Roadhouse, Cook County. Still dip in there from a very rare time to time. I I like to think I'm a pretty good dancer uh, in terms of spinning. I the, believe it. Spinning the birds around, uh, dipping you, nice and low. Can you polka? I di- I learned uh, like a f- technically how to polka a long time ago. I'd have to get a very uh, thorough refresher, but I have learned before. But I like in terms of an official polka, I haven't done that in a lifetime. True story. I was at a wedding thirty some years ago with my friend Pecchio, and the the it was a Croatian wedding, and the maid of honor's name, no word of a lie, was Slobodenka, and she was from Croatia, and Pecchio was a good dancer. He went up to her and said. Slobodenka, Pecchio, Polka. (laughs) So uh, there you go. Uh, Text coming back. uh, 1-833-401. Well, now all the uh, Ukrainian wedding things are coming in. 1-833-401-1440. All right, let's get to Team Dean. I don't want to shut you out. So Team Dean says... Nurse and CC are a tire fire. CC isn't capable of babysitting nurse. Well, 
I don't think Nurse needs any babysitting to start with. He plays against the toughest opponents. CC is a third-pairing guy. I agree with you, Team Dean, that CC's not a first-pairing guy. He's not your typical first-pairing shutdown guy. He's not your, uh, I guess, if if Drew Doughty and Vladislav Gabrikov are your top pairing and Gabrikov played, what, 27 minutes, 26 minutes yesterday, and Doughty, well, I didn't even check what Doughty was. I'm sure he's in the 30-minute mark, but 27-44 for Doughty. And there's flaws in their game. There's flaws in a, in a top pair. You acquire Gabrikov from Columbus and you sign into a long-term deal, you think that he's going to be your top guy, and he's played, he's he's a good defenseman. Yes, he's a good shutdown defenseman. But is he an upper echelon upper echelon shutdown defenseman? Not a chance. Not a chance. There are holes, and I've sent this to you, Dean. There are holes in every roster construction. But what you have to do when you make that roster construction, you have to go, all right, can we take a little bit of the bad with a little bit of the good? And hopefully there's more good than bad, just like Evan Bouchard. You take a little bit of the bad, but the good outweighs. The good outweighs the bad. Positive Bronte fan. The Oilers are in the toughest part of their schedule right now. They will get it together. Uh, It'll be a good test uh, going into the playoffs, getting them playoff hockey ready. They got this uh, last win. Last night was a good sign. Crow's Nest Oiler. Kevin, you are 100% correct. The team really does need size. Little bo- little bit of mobility grit on the fourth line. Also a solid defensive 5-6 D-man with some mobility. Wouldn't hurt. Price will be too high for the Oilers to require a top six forward, which is actually needed, really. Which is it actually needed, really? Uh, do you want to get a little bit of quick oiler sound here, Duke, before the break? What do we got? Who do you think? Who do, who's, who's, who fits in, in in the time limit that we had last night? Ryan Nugent Hopkins spoke a little longer, but we had uh, Evan Bouchard also spoke. And, and the uh, coach. I, I think either Evan Bouchard or Ryan sure. Nugent Hopkins would be uh, good to go, whatever well, you prefer. Let's go, let's go with Bouch. I mean, uh, Evan Bouchard with one goal, one assist last night. The game-winning goal, his 15th of the year, uh, that gave the Oilers a 3-2 lead, and uh, Oilers would eventually go on to that 4-2 win. Here's... Uh, Evan Bouchard following last night's game. Uh, 15 goals on the season there. Uh, Bouch bomb again. Uh, you're also a great passer there. What did you see on that play that made you decide to, to shoot it? Um, I mean, they're kind of taking the flanks away. Um, and the pass to Leo, I guess, was open in the slot. And, yeah, he had a great tip. Do you pay attention to the, the amount of goals you have on the season? You're now tied for first in the NHL with Mackenzie Weger for the lead for defenseman. Uh, no, not really. You kind of just go out and play. You don't really care too much about the stats. Evan Matias was talking about how um, you're not too hard on yourself that you've, you know, he doesn't want you to. If you make a bad play, like on that read, that you shake it off. Um, how, how do you go into it now? And what did you see on that read? And I guess how did you how did you shake it off after? Obviously, I thought I can close on him, right? <laughs> Obviously, it didn't happen, but. Uh, yeah, no, and you know, I thought we had back pressure, but like you said, you got to shake it off, and it was a lot more time to play. That managed late in the game to make a huge difference. Was there a time, Evan, where maybe you wouldn't have been able to shake that off quite as easy? Where it might have bothered you a little bit? Uh, a little bit, yeah. There's confidence that plays a, a part in it, but um, you know, I think the way that I play, you kind of have to uh, pick and choose your spots a little better. That one, obviously, uh, a tough read, but we got it back and. Yeah, we've got the two points. You guys is, are always looking at new plays in the power play. We haven't really seen that high tip very often. Is that something you guys have been talking about? Did you see it against their PK or did just something that you've, you've it was just there? Man, yeah, it was kind of something that was just there. Um, like I said, they took the flanks away, left the middle open. Leo made a great tip. 
So this whole season is kind of predicated on getting you guys ready for the playoffs, and it was a little wonky for the last four or five games, but this was a playoff game, and you guys were, you know, answered the bell and kind of delivered the kind of hockey you, you want to play later on. Is that kind of uplifting? Uh, yeah, I think we got to have a little better start to us, but um, against those guys, you got to be patient, and uh, you know they're they're a team that uh, we've seen uh, a lot of the past few seasons. Um, the divisional games are always big, so that was a good one for us. You think about Stewart, can you talk about Stuart Skinner's game tonight and just the importance that he wanted a bounce-back game and he got one? Yeah, he was incredible for us. He has been for a long time. Um, when he plays like that, it's uh, you know, hard to score on him and uh, it gives us that much more confidence. And when you're, the wave happened for about, I don't know, two and a half consecutive minutes there for a while. I don't really see that very often. Do players notice that in the middle of the game where the, the crowd's just continually doing a wave that long? Uh, yeah, you kind of wonder what's going on, whether it's something on the Jumbotron or what's going on. But Edmonton fans, they're great. Uh, you know, they pick us up, lift us up, and uh, it was uh, cool to see. That's Oilers defenseman uh, Evan Bouchard. 15 goals, ties him with Mackenzie Weger. Just got a text from Sean Brown. He was really loving our wedding chats, Duke. <laughs> Man, if Brownie was ever at a wedding I was at, I wouldn't have a prayer. Da- be... Like you mean dancing or what? Oh, anything. Well, that's he's a, smooth on the ice. That's, that's a like that's a tall, handsome guy. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. He's tall and handsome, all right. Uh, I wonder what kind of dancing ability Brownie has, though. Like, I mean, he was a smooth skater on the ice, so obviously powerful skater, big, tough guy. You know, I bet he's like. I bet uh, he's got some soft touch out on the floor. You think so? Like, I think so. You think he can do like way better than Struddy? Wow, we all know that. <laughs> I I saw. I told you I saw Struddy at uh, Chopper Lopatinsky's fiftieth birthday. <laughs> Holy man! And like not just one dance. Saw him for probably two hours of steady dancing. It's just. It's just like it's just like a car crash. You can't look away. It's just that bad. Well, I mean, Shreddy's a, a man for the people, so if that's how he needs to go about entertaining everybody and keeping the party alive and well, then I, oh. I credit him for it. <laughs> yeah, I, that's entertainment, baby. <laughs> I mean, hey, you get what you pay for, I guess. It out of. <laughs> yeah, yikes. Uh, we'll have a little more open time. We'll get to Coach Chris Knobloch coming up at 9 o'clock. At 9.20, we've got Ryan Divish from the Seattle Times. He covers the Mariners. Uh, we'll talk a little bit Major League Baseball and then uh, some more hockey. Curtis Pashelka uh, from the Bay Area News Group. And at 10.20, Luke Pierce, uh, head coach of the Edmonton Oil Kings. They've got an early morning game tomorrow in Calgary. They had the, the one last week, uh, the hockey hooky game. So a similar situation in Calgary tomorrow that's an 11 o'clock start so the well i would imagine they'll i would imagine they'd be on their way to calgary today i guess it'd be pretty tough to get you'd probably have to get up about seven o'clock six o'clock in the morning for an 11 o'clock game heading down to calgary so that's coming up uh, in uh, nine and ten o'clock hours before that time now for a sports 1440 update brought to you by tommy guns home of the ultimate grooming experience our hot towel shaves awesome haircuts and treatments were designed just for you every tuesday and wednesday so today and tomorrow Go into any location, mention Sports 1440, you get a $30 haircut. That's only at TommyGuns.com. Here's the Duke.